Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Louis Fratino was born in 1993 in Maryland and currently lives and works in New York. He received his BFA from the Maryland Institute College of Art, and he recently had solo shows at Monia Row Gallery in Florida, Terry Goldberg Gallery in New York City, and Platform Gallery in Baltimore. His work was recently included in group exhibitions at Hilda Gallery in Los Angeles, Harpe Gallery in New Jersey, and Terry Goldberg Gallery in New York. He also is currently in a four-person show at DC Moore Gallery. He completed a Fulbright Research Fellowship in painting in Berlin, and has also concluded the Yale Norfolk Painting Fellowship at the Yale Summer School of Art and Music in Norfolk, Connecticut. His work has also been featured in exhibitions at the Maryland Institute of Art, Jeffrey Young Gallery, Current Space, and Session Space, among others. His work was recently covered by Roberta Smith in the New York Times. I met up with Lewis at his studio in Long Island City, where we discussed his time growing up in Maryland, working small and scale shifts in painting, his time working at the Guggenheim, striving for non-thinking time, and much more. Here's our conversation. all the time especially since I make small-scale work people mm-hmm. are like that would be a beautiful big painting and I'd be like then I would make it again and that would take all the fun out of it yeah. so it's yeah. kind of like anticlimactic yeah. I, unless your work is geared towards that right and some know. people do it really beautifully but I don't think I would ever want to or ha- what could even if I tried because my I'm not very organized in the studio a lot of things happen by accident um, yeah so do you ever try to capture, like, if you do a little one you really like, kind of capture that feel in a larger painting? And does it work, or does it fail if you do that? Um, or I is think, it new every time? I think I kind of reinvent the wheel every time, in a way. Um, there are definitely things I, like, discover in paintings that I choose to bring into other ones, and the drawings are always, like, um, I'm copying those to make the paintings, mm-hmm. but they change so much, you know, going from one medium to another. Right. It has the built-in changeover. Yeah. Like, it's never... You can't make it exactly like that. Right. And and for that to be the mission, I think, would kill me. I would just, you know, get so bored or so fanatic about certain things, so... Right. Do you draw? It looks like you draw all the time. Yeah, I actually draw more during the day than I paint. Um, I like drawing more than painting. In a way, it's so much more immediate. I've been doing it for longer. Right. Um, Do they they become the roadmap to the paintings? Yeah, pretty much always... So most paintings have like a pair, um, pair drawing with them. Right. And this past show in September was the first time I showed drawings, mm-hmm. um, which I think was really cool because I think they inform the paintings in a certain way, like show how I arrive at certain mark making or just how I discover the subject matter. Yeah. And then do you do you feel like the ratio is pretty high? Like you'll make scores of drawings for each painting. Um, no, not really for each painting, more like I make scores of drawings per day, and Mm -hmm. then maybe one or two of the paintings I feel like I know how to make, or one or two of the drawings I feel like I know how to make that into a painting. Yeah. And when you're drawing, do you ever draw from life, or is it all imagined, or? Sometimes I do, but that's pretty rare. Um, like at home I will, uh, my boyfriend Tristan, um, but a lot of the time I'm drawing from my 
memory or imagination or other paintings or photography even not necessarily photographs I've taken though I do that sometimes but Mm -hmm. um, other artists I like through history of image making like George Platlines or Peter Hujar yeah um, yeah so when did you when did you get started Um, where'd you grow up are we recording now we are recording oh okay sorry (laughs) (laughs) sorry if I botched that no no not at all Um, we're on I grew up in Tracy's Landing Maryland Mm -hmm. so it's pretty rural part of the country it's like an hour south of Baltimore okay and so close to Virginia um it's or is it right on the coast of the bay so it sort of takes like an hour to get to Washington an hour to get to Baltimore sort of in between both of them Uh Um, have you ever been to Annapolis yes it's like 25 minutes south of Annapolis yeah my uncle lived right by there oh we used to go crabbing yeah it's a big thing yeah um my brother loves doing that we do that often if I go home in the summer and actually when I went home for Thanksgiving my brother was like, oh, let's just go out on the water. And then he brought rods and stuff. And we caught like two giant rockfish that we ate that night. And it's like, <laughs> I would never be able to have that experience in New York City. So yeah. it's cool to like be gone from that place for long enough that now when I go back, I can really appreciate how different life is there. Right. Was uh, Old Bay seasoning involved? Not on the fish, but it always is with crabs. Yeah. Um, or like, yeah, a variety of things like mashed potatoes or, you know, whatever. Right. That's such a huge part of my memory of that, of uh-huh. being at his place, is Old Bay. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's weird. Marylanders are, like, really proud of some weird small things. Like, right. I don't know. Well, it's like that. I grew up in Pittsburgh. We have the same thing. Yeah. Like Heinz Ketchup. Yeah. And Primani Brothers. Have you ever been there? I haven't. It's like a sandwich shop where they put the coleslaw and french fries right on the sandwich. Oh, that sounds delicious. It is amazing. Like shawarma almost with the fries inside. Yeah, it's just gigantic. Yeah. The coleslaw is so perfect. Cool. It's like, it's one of the the handful of reasons to go to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I actually, I would love to go to Pittsburgh. Um, and I've wanted to go for a long time. I just, I haven't. I really love Annie Dillard uh-huh. and that book, An American Childhood, mm-hmm. which sort of perfectly romanticizes the city right. for me. Um, you could so. do it in a weekend. Yeah, I should. <laughs> you can basically see all the sites. And I, I joke around all the time. It's, you know, it's a great weekend or, like, short trip place yeah. to go. If you live there, it could be a little slow. But the Warhol is incredible. Mm. I mean, it's such a great museum. And the uh, Mattress Factory. Which and those like, are not the same thing. No, the Warhol Museum is you know newer than the mattress factory the mattress okay. factory is this tiny installation art museum in the mexican war streets and it's in like a brownstone okay and um there's a Terrell. there's a couple Terrell pieces permanent installations in there in a kusama mirror room oh cool which is really nice because i kind of grew up seeing that stuff yeah and then you have the carnegie museum which is a good spot and carnegie mellon i mean there's there's stuff there yeah and it's not the steel town that people think it is you know it's a, little, it's a little more clean and technological these uh-huh. days with Carnegie Mellon and, you know, stuff like that. But people think it's, like, gray and steely, uh, you know? Yeah. But well, uh, I, I always heard about the, like, many rivers that go through and... And bridges. Yeah, yeah. so that seems really beautiful. It is. Yeah, I used to live on the hill that overlooks the city, you know, the point where the three rivers converges. Mm-hmm. And you could take the incline up and down there. Yeah, I've heard this, like, a bizarre little tram or... Yeah, like, yeah it's, it's really cool. cool. Yeah, there's, it, there's some fun things to do there. Yeah, I like small cities. I mean, I'm going to school in Baltimore, I think, developed an appreciation for, you know, a city that's not always in the forefront 
the you provincial know, yeah. love of it. Yeah. Well, it's not, I don't know, it's provincial. It's more like, I feel like a lot of cities on the East Coast have this feeling that, like, they've been left behind a little bit, or, mm-hmm. like, at one point they were so much wealthier. And so there are these, like, I mean, so many problems associated with that, but also they're extremely beautiful, and they're, like, these mansions on along the reservoir that are sort of neglected, and you feel like you're traveling in time or something. It's yeah. really kind of amazing. Yeah, I go to Baltimore a lot. Oh, okay. I really love it there. Yeah, I love Baltimore. It's so real. It really is. And uh, I'm, I would imagine you like the Folk Art Museum, or the Outsider Art Museum. Yeah, the Visionary Art Museum. Yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah I went there like every summer as a kid, actually. There was like a art high school program that I did, mm-hmm. and we always went there. Instead of the BMA, I actually didn't go to the BMA until I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really familiar with that museum and well, it's kid friendly. I, I would yeah. guess. I mean, those Howard Finsters and like all those. Who did the matchbook or the matches? Someone used made these giant sculptures out of. Yeah, I can picture them, but amazing. I don't know if that I know the name of the artist. Yeah, but that is an incredible museum. Yeah, yeah, it is. Baltimore and the Walters Museum in Baltimore is in, like very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been there before? I haven't. It's. I forget why he was so wealthy, but he just had has like all this ancient art and um like greek and roman and egyptian and it's this small it's like in his old home so mm-hmm. it's in mount vernon's this beautiful late 1800s like mansion and then all his you know stuff which is so crazy that it's in downtown baltimore which is you know i don't know not in everyone's map yeah it's so cool to see art that way yeah as opposed to like giant rooms but the more right. intimate yeah you can like kind of go to of a winding stair and the rooms are small and it's manageable and it's a really yeah. cool place. That's great. So so you grew up by Annapolis and were you drawing as a kid? Was it something you were always interested in? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I that's all I remember doing or like loving to do really. Um and in school like all the time. It was so funny because I feel like my teachers were always really irritated by how much I was drawing, but it was helping <laughs> me remember what they were talking about during lecture by like being able to pair images with what was being talked about or oh, something yeah. like that. Um, but they thought you were just not you know zoning attention. out, right. right? But for me, it was a way to you know satisfy my itch to do it and think about what was going on. You know, you can have a phone conversation and doodle and not be absent from the conversation right um it's almost like you're absent from the drawing in an interesting way yeah yeah so and I still do that and I love drawing on the phone because it's a little bit more removed like I less in control of the subject matter because I'm paying more attention to the phone conversation Mm -hmm. um so often the drawings are really strange and even surprising to me which is fun yeah I feel like we don't talk on the phone that much anymore I talk to my mom and dad on the phone almost every day. Yeah. Do yeah. You, are they long? Because when I talk to my parents, it can't be under an hour. They just keep... Oh, really? <laughs> it, no, it's good. It's manageable because it's every day. Um, so sometimes it's just 10 minutes or something like that. Normally, they call on their commute. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's more of a texter. Yeah. My dad. I, I tried that, but I tried going more frequent to you know shorten the duration. Yeah. It didn't work. Oh, okay. <laughs> they I have still to be have pretty good about, you know, all right... Now I'm going to paint. Right. I'll talk to you tomorrow. It's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine your parents growing up were pretty supportive of yeah. your Yeah, of your totally. Um, and then did you have a good teacher in school? Because 
a lot of people who go on to make art have a pretty impactful yeah. high school yeah, art my, teacher. And my middle school, like my middle school teacher was incredible. I'm she I actually I'm gonna pull away. Yeah, yeah. This is from her, like still. Wow. This little tablet of watercolors <laughs> that I still use. Um and then in high school they were encouraging us to use oil paint really early on, so that's something I'd started doing before I went to college. And um the art room was in the old gym at our mm-hmm. school so it was really big um which I felt like symbolically was kind of nice yeah. <laughs> like you could have all this space and you know it's as important as our sports teams and right so did you was your school small or big or public it was, it was public school yeah. and it was pretty small um compared to other schools in the county I think there were probably like uh, maybe 200 kids in my graduating class mm-hmm. which now I say it doesn't seem that small but um, yeah, but there's some, I mean, I went to, in Pittsburgh, I went to, a, I think our graduating class was like 160 or something, mm-hmm. but there were schools right next door that were like in the thousands. Yeah, you know? yeah, like northern part of the county, um, closer to the Baltimore, I think those schools would always just destroy us in like every imaginable sport, mm-hmm. and they just had like 10,000 children there, so. Yeah, <laughs> a bigger pool to choose from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you play sports? I ran cross country, which yeah. was like, at our school, the not sporty person's sport um but I really enjoyed it I you know spent you it's a lot of interior like time you you spend with yourself running just miles on end and thinking and um yeah I loved running cross country being outdoors and it's really extreme too to like spend that much time kind of in your head yeah especially at a young age I can't imagine I feel like a lot of people as they get older they enjoy running because it does give them that like time to decompress right. and to not be on their phone mm-hmm. or emails or whatever. But yeah, as a young person, I can't imagine. I mean, I played soccer, so that's like the kind of thing where you're always reacting to something. Yeah. But you're, and it's a lot of running, but you're running and you're kind of there with your thoughts. Kind yeah. Of. And I like to practice, but I'm, I really struggled with the like competition of the meets where it's, you know, so visual, like how you're doing or mm-hmm. if someone's doing better than you. And um, so I had a lot of anxiety about that. But I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Well, it's probably, I feel like fitness at an early age keeps you, I don't know, it's, it's good to instill that early. Yeah, well, or it makes you realize what you can do and what you're not doing anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, but I feel like, I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people about this where, you know, going to the studio almost feels like, like hitting the gym or doing something. It's kind of like that ritualistic you know, working out or practicing. Yeah, and, and it takes a lot of energy. Um, I feel like it's weird. I have kind of one task to do now that I'm painting full-time, but it feels so much harder than when I was, like, working full-time to accomplish more than one thing a day. Oh, yeah. Like, the first two or three hours in here are really just warming up. And right. then, so if you only come for that long, it's almost like feels like you didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it takes up so much of the day and... Yeah, and just travel in New York City. I feel like, like I paint, and then maybe I have like one other thing. Otherwise, like that's, that's like the full extent of my abilities. Yeah. Did you ever work where you live to sort of cut out the commute? Yeah, I did. Um, when I first moved here, yeah. I was working on like the dining table of our sublet, mm-hmm. and that's sort of why I made that first show. So like they were all such tiny paintings, yeah. um, which was really fortuitous in a way because. That's all I had to show, really. Yeah. But I think that's part of what made that 
show really good and that's what part of what people really liked about that show mm -hmm. um, which made me kind of take a step back and say this tiny work is really important maybe it's actually a bigger part of like who I am as a painter whereas before in school of course I was making these large paintings kind of like beating my chest and right. you know whatever and I thought about the smaller paintings as kind of secondary or studies or something like that but mm -hmm. after that show it really affirmed that they were super powerful and I realized that it was almost like political to choose to make work so small and that it really helped it in a way yeah I always say it's harder to make a really good small painting yeah I think so too because you know you're not relying on that just like visual I don't know impact the impact yeah yeah the scale impact right anything like a roughly the size of your body has a certain kind of confrontation exactly and not in a bad way but it's just like it's you kind know, of a built-in factor that the small paintings don't have necessarily. Yeah, definitely. When you you really have to make the little ones sing to like hold. Yeah, hold which their is own. so fun too. Yeah. And and paintings I love throughout history do that. Like Vermeer, mm -hmm. I don't I don't think I've ever seen a large Vermeer painting, and mm -hmm. those are like the best paintings I think I've ever seen. Yeah. And like a uh, Persian miniature painting is so mind blowing in that. It's as small as it gets in a way. Yeah. Japanese prints. Yeah. Really amazing and small scale. Yeah. I just was in Boston and they had a show of Kuniyoshi and Kunisada mm -hmm. kind of side by side. Um, and that, yeah, it was so amazing to even like, you know, in a centimeter worth of space, like a crowd of people. It's, right. it's just insane yeah it's a great you got lucky time yeah. wise to see that show yeah it was did you know or did you just no go in? i had no idea i i didn't even do any research before i went just, off the street yeah. it's like the best when you go in to see a show and you just blown away yeah one of my favorite in pittsburgh was uh van gogh it was a like a double show of van gogh and ukiyo-e oh, and like cool. the influence yeah the assumed influence that that had on his work and it was kind of like one wing over here was all the Japanese prints and the mm -hmm. other wing was all these Van Gogh paintings. Oh, ah, interesting. It was so cool to see like, yeah. the link between the two, but they're so different right. at the same time. I wonder too, it probably would be cool to see them right next to each other also. Yeah. Um, were Definitely. you kind of like having to walk back and forth or? Yeah, I mean, they would have these little, I mean, this was a long time ago, mm. but um, they would have these little kind of like placards next to it. Oh, okay. And it would show you the relationship and then you could go see yeah. the other work. But yeah, it was kind of like a separated show because uh, the Van Goghs were chronological. Mm. But the nice part about that is you could kind of see the development. Like he was, like, like that you could influence. see him thinking yeah. over time, which was really cool. Okay, so getting back to Maryland. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cycling back to that. So did you have a pretty good idea that you want to go to art school? I, I did. I Certainly by like my sophomore year in high school, before I was, you know, I took an architecture class um, and I, I even was thinking about maybe doing like textile design or something, which are, I mean, less so architecture, but still things I think I think about a lot and mm -hmm. I'm excited by. Um, but yeah, by the time I was applying to schools, I only applied to art schools, which did kind of freak my parents out. They're like, what if you change your mind? But um, it worked out and I knew I wanted to study painting. And I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I was a little bit more flexible in school, like taking more advantage of some of the, you know, workshops for sculpture and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But I've always felt super attracted to painting and felt really connected to it. So yeah. So Micah called out. Um, Did that jump out to you? Yeah, I, I think its proximity helped a lot. 
Um, it's I, a great school. So. Yeah, I, I, and I just remember too, as a student, seeing the paintings that other students were doing there and feeling like I want to make work that looks like that, which was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I had this weird thing with RISD. I was like, I gotta go to RISD, but it was just like way too expensive. Um, but I'm really glad I went to Micah. I think I had a really great experience there and maybe better than I would have. I mean, there's no way for me to know, but my, the faculty there really influenced me. I still think about the conversations I had with people there. and So, so what years were you there? I was there 2011 to 2015. Okay. I feel like I might have visited during that window. Oh, yeah? Like, uh, spoken at... Yeah, oh, or cool. maybe, it, maybe it was before. Yeah, so, but there is a big uh, interdisciplinary thing there, right? There, well, it's a different program. There's one called General Fine Arts, um, which is, like, well, I don't know if I want to say I recorded the, like, running joke about it, but... Um, <laughs> we can then cut it out. Yeah, the, what did they... General fucking around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which was a little bit what it was like. Right. So within painting, you could present whatever you wanted, though. Yeah. Um, any, any department. They, it wasn't really strict, and there was definitely not, like, a mission for any of the departments. Like, this is what we think painting is, or mm-hmm. general fine arts are. Right. Um, but like, there's, there's another name for the school, right, isn't there? there? I think you're thinking one of the graduate programs, probably. I, yeah. I know that one of them is for painting, and then another one probably is for interdisciplinary. Inter- yeah, but yeah. we weren't really that involved with the graduate program, I even see. though we shared the studio building. Mm-hmm. Um, but you like couldn't even, I think, go onto their floor. They're not allowed. Yeah. The minions aren't allowed. No. <laughs> they kept you, yeah. kept you down. Yeah. But you were seeing their work and all that stuff. Yeah, because so. they were our TAs. And actually, I just framed a print I got from a TA like yesterday nice. and I hung it and so like from four years ago finally I have like the means to do it and, right. and so it's nice that I had that relationship with other artists um, and yeah I still talk to her she's a great painter yeah. Um, yeah so you had a good experience there yeah I did I had a, a really really great time I, I met some of my best friends that I still I mean not a huge number of people um, but probably four or five friends that I still talk to you know every week or so. Mm-hmm. And when you were about to graduate, did you think straight to New York or? No. What was your and, plan? In Baltimore, there's this big, like, New York, kind of like anti-New York feeling, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, makes sense in a way. Um, so I remember during school, it seemed sort of unfeasible. You know, there's this conversation while you're there, of like, well, why I would just like burn all my money and like, you know, that would be more productive than moving to New York. Right. Um, so I didn't know what I was going to do, but I applied for a Fulbright. My, starting my junior year, I had to really, really far in advance mm-hmm. get prepared for that. It's a long process. Yeah, yeah. especially because I went through the school, which kind of helps you, you know, they review what you're writing, and, um, and I got it. So I went to Germany right after graduation. Berlin? Into Berlin, yeah. yeah. So I was there for a year. And... And I wasn't sure if I was going to stay there or not. Um, and what year was that? That was 2015 to 2016. And did it have a big impact? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, Berlin, at that point, I guess Berlin was already, I mean, it's even starting to get Yeah, I mean, the neighborhood, more expensive. the neighborhood we lived in didn't have like a third wave coffee shop when we moved there. And then it did by the yeah. time we left. So <laughs> like things are changing there, which I guess, you know, it does suck. But And, and I'm contributing that, you know, bringing my grant money over there. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
but it's a great city. It's so comfortable to live there. I mean, my studio was really cheap. Yeah. It was like 200 euros yeah, it's, and it's it had cheap. a window and a door and um, that was such a beautiful time. And I just had time after graduating to be a painter, which mm -hmm. is like not what anyone gets to experience normally. You know, right. you're cast out into the world and have to feed yourself and don't have any time to like do anything. Um, so for me to make a, be able to make a body of work and then come here and be able to just show it mm -hmm. was really impactful. I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't be probably talking to you yeah. if, if I didn't do that, I think. Were you making small work over there? Not when I first got there. Um, I got there, I got my studio, I like ordered my big canvases. Um, and, and I remember distinctly the feeling of like finishing my first couple paintings mm -hmm. and then being like, and I'll move them to the other side of the studio. Like, uh, okay, what is yeah, this for yeah. now? Um, and so the more I was working, the more I just wanted to test out new ideas. And, yeah. and so it didn't make sense to make these giant paintings that took like a month and a half to do. So I kind of started the small works in the spring of 2016. Um, and I had a couple studio visits there in Berlin. And I remember people saying, you know, these tiny guys are like... They really, were really nice, yeah. Um, and so that it really did start before I moved here, but what solidified making just for a couple months only small work was that I just didn't have a studio when I first moved here. Yeah. Well, when you were there, was there any work that you were seeing that had like a big impact on you, or was the just um, living and working there, did it have some sort of effect? I went to the Pergamon Museum a lot, mm -hmm. um, and they do have a collection of miniature painting but I don't know if that, that's why I necessarily started making the small work. I'm trying to think of work. It's, it's weird. I did think that Berlin was going to be a little bit more like here and that the like, painting community was going to feel really pervasive and like just you walk outside and find new work. But mm -hmm. it wasn't really the case. And a lot of the big painting you see and like the you know, big events are, feel imported from other parts yeah. of the world. Um, and I don't know why that is necessarily. I don't know if people are more like underground or the community is just a lot smaller than I thought it was. So it really was, I think the biggest impact being there was just having the time to be by myself and you know make work. And I made really good friends and had a uh, fun time, but yeah, I didn't find as much art there as I thought I would in a way. Yeah, I think it did get kind of co-opted by other galleries, you know, blue chip galleries and yeah. stuff moving in from other places. and. A lot of that work isn't being made there. And right, and even cheap. the galleries that are not, you know, it's their second space in Berlin or what, like the ones that are from Berlin, they're often showing work that's not yeah. made by people in the country, um, which is interesting. I don't know why. Yeah, it's just that it has a, but it has a good vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's also these things in Germany called Kunstvereins, mm -hmm. which are like community museums, kind of. It means like art club or group in a way and I lived in Marburg Germany for two months before I moved to Berlin because Fulbright required me to study German right and so I was in this small university city um, you know they had a castle on a hill and a river that ran through it it was gorgeous but and they had a Kunstverein there and so that was kind of cool to see sort of a venue for our work that just doesn't exist in the United States like a small city doesn't have a museum in it here yeah. generally and that was like a really small city. Like it was summertime, so all the students were gone. And so it was like, you're like, where are the people? Yeah. Um, it was interesting.
Well, yeah, and art has, it just plays a different role, I think, in European society. Yeah, it's, it has a different place. I mean, the infrastructure for it is, like, way more built up. Like, finding a studio in that city was, there's, you know, I forget what the name of the group is, but it's all very organized. Like, here's where you can find studios, here's forums and meetings and all kinds of things. I mean, which happens in New York City, but... I feel like isn't a nationally valued thing necessarily. Right. You just have to Google and look in the cracks, uh, yeah, the nooks yeah. and crannies for it. Whereas it's not probably not as, um, I don't know, structured mm-hmm. as maybe it is there. Yeah. So the Fulbright side of what you were doing, did you have to kind of study or other than learning the language, what were the other um, effects that had on your day to day? Really, was it just really immersion? None. It was it's just immersion. Basically. Yeah, it was just um, you know you you have you have to write a project proposal to go and mine was really open-ended it was just like I felt influenced by German painting and um, interested in the city because of its kind of rise as an important place for painting and art making in the modern world and and so I just said I wanted to go and be there and make work and that's kind of what I did Mm -hmm. so I I was a little shocked that I got it to be honest I remember feeling really nervous that it wasn't specific enough or wasn't going to accomplish anything but I think the mission of that program is really just to have like Americans abroad and yeah. like have people in the world meet Americans um, who are trying their best in their field. Yeah, doing interesting things. Yeah, yeah. So when you moved back, what was the plan? Uh, I really didn't have a plan. I I just came here without a job and an apartment, and luckily I have an uncle on Staten Island who mm-hmm. I lived with. Um, and I started working at the Guggenheim selling tickets. Nice. And that was interesting. Yeah. And grueling <laughs> because it was during the Agus Martin show. Oh, yeah. And, which was beautiful, but so many people were outraged by it. Oh, yeah. They that's just, interesting. Like, I remember so distinctly one woman, really respectfully, but she was like, I just like have to know if she was paid for any of this. <laughs> I was like, well, she's dead, but... She was, actually. Um, so that struck a chord with a lot of tourists. Yeah. People didn't buy it. L- no. And they didn't want anyone else to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Because it's, I would imagine, especially in somewhere like the Guggenheim, the beauty of that work, even though it's minimal, that yeah. that would trump kind of the, you know, the, oh, I could do that vibe of it. I think the Guggenheim is kind of stuck between two th- weird things where it's, you know, showing contemporary art and showing difficult and challenging art, but at the same time it wants to be, and, and is like one of the classic, you know, places to go in New York City. So I think, I'm, I mean, one time a guest asked me where paintings of Jesus were, and so it's like people know it's the Guggenheim, but they have no idea what is inside the Guggenheim. Yeah, like what they're going to get, Yeah, except for a spiral. Yeah. Luckily, the Met is very close, and so it's yeah, easy to direct just, people yeah, where they can find Jesus. a few blocks that way. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> Jesus is just a couple blocks yeah. down there. So. Different house. Yeah. Um, so, of all the Guggenheim, so that was a, probably a good experience. Is you're, in, you're working a job that's basically in the creative field. Yeah, and I met some beautiful people on staff there, too, other people who, you know, were interested in art and... Um, just trying to make it work in the city, and and I and I saw a lot of artists come through the Guggenheim, which was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, like Maya Lin and Richard Prince, and because mm-hmm. I would see them scan, I'd be like, oh my god, I know exactly who you oh, are. Oh yeah, um, they did the artist, the the past. Yeah, the, the artist scan. membership. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. 
So you get a little inside scoop. Yeah. And, and then you just found a place? I mean... Yeah, we... Um, I, My boyfriend and I live together, and we luckily... I mean, I've been looking all over Brooklyn and seeing a lot of stuff that was really expensive and expensive in New York. <laughs> yeah, but not only expensive, really disgusting. Um, yeah. But the first one we found that was like clean and expensive, like and like enough that we could afford it, um, was in Greenpoint. I didn't know anything about Greenpoint before I moved here, but I love living there. Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah. Yeah, because you're kind of coming into the city and peak rental prices. You know. Yeah, I guess it feels bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I first moved, I, I feel like I, I talked to some older artists who came when it was, you know, the Wild West, where mm-hmm. there was like tumbleweeds rolling through Brooklyn, and right. it was like, oh, yeah, the people would pay me to, to rent a studio right. here. <laughs> but, but, like, when I came, my first studio space, I lived with a few people who were writers, and, mm-hmm. you know, there was only one other artist there, but we had, I think, like, 3,500 square feet for, like, $700 a oh, month, wow. yeah. which you can't, that, to me, seemed like, like, that's a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and to think that it was even cheaper at some point, but now, I mean, you can't even find that kind of space. Right, and I'm kind of trying to hop from residency to residency so far. Um, like the one I'm on now, Arta Project, has been for a year, and then I'm going to do Pioneer Works in March. Nice. So. That's a good studio solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's worked out so far. Well, and cycling back, so now that you've been working in a bigger space like this, I mean, are you still trying to keep it small, or do you, are you I mean, you're working in medium, small, yeah. medium range. I, I think I found, luckily, through the constraints of not having space, that I really love making small paintings, mm-hmm. and um, maybe I wouldn't have valued them so much if I didn't have that. So, yeah, I definitely plan on continuing to make a lot of small work. Um, it's also been such a crazy year for me, and I want to be able to, like, say yes to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I can make more small paintings than right, not, right. so which is a kind of a really practical way of thinking about it. But I, I also just love making them. So yeah, and it's great too because if you can make small work, I mean, you can live and work in the same place if you need to. Yeah, I mean, the residencies are great because you get free space for however long, and it's I always feel like it's interesting to change your studio up because you react differently to a new space. Yeah. You know, I love doing work that's in the public realm or you know, site-specific things, mm. too, because it just forces you to think slightly different. Even yeah. if you're making your work there, there's a different feel to it, which I think can be invigorating, you know? To yeah, paint. definitely. Though I have to say, I do have this fantasy of, like, a resting place studio where I, like, a have, have a bookshelf and, like, right. a chair and right. instead of, like, a disgusting thing of MDF <laughs> that I call a table. Right. Yeah, I think I... I because I've had studios like that for a long period mm. of time, and I don't know, like lately I've been more nomadic with teaching in Pennsylvania and being here and then traveling a lot. Yeah. I've kind of like embraced moving around and working on the go, but I can, I guess it can be unsettling at times. Yeah, well, it's really the only way I have worked so far. And I mean, I had, I mean, yeah, even at school, you only have the studio for two semesters. Yeah. And you have to go somewhere for the summer and come back. And then, you know, I was in Germany and... Now I've been here, and we actually did get kicked out of the old space this residency was on, so I've done two so far in the past year. Mm-hmm. But I don't have that much material. It's not that difficult for me. Yeah, it's probably, I think in New York it's kind of a, even though the bookshelf is a nice idea, it's <laughs> yeah. probably nice to, to pack light. I think you have to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be able to move around. Yeah. But it's funny because, you know, there's once this day where the studio's, 
have like people put so much weight on like where they're working working and like what it means to have a big studio and things like mm. that I've never really subscribed to that feeling and uh, I spent a lot of time in Japan and in Japan there's no space you know yeah like you, there's just no one has a, a giant studio or mm. I've never met anyone with a huge studio yeah I'm sure like Takashi Murakami or Yoshito Minato or someone like that does but for general the general you know art public I think art making public you just don't have huge spaces and they don't put this kind of um, I don't know, like status on a studio. Right. Like you can live, and if you have a little nook in your apartment and you work there, great, you know. And uh, but I feel like here people put more of a, I don't know, an attachment on their studio space. Yeah, like, or that it, you want it to be reflective of you in some way instead of being completely utilitarian, which yeah. I kind of understand. I mean, sometimes I have people come in and I'm a little like wish it didn't look so disgusting in here, but <laughs> also I'm like a slob, so. Um, yeah, but they're really, though, they're looking at the work, you know? Yeah. I mean? It doesn't really matter where you're working. Or at yeah. least that's the way I feel about it. I mean, I guess, yeah, it would be great to have, like, a 4,000-square-foot loft with plants and, right. like, a, like a giant book Georgia O'Keeffe-style, like, everything looks like your paintings. and. Oh, and yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I guess that's it's true. Like, well, your paintings aren't exactly... I mean, no offense, they're not exactly super neat. No, they aren't. I think I think a lot of it too is like I have a fantasy idea of myself, and right. the reality is like I will always have a studio that looks like this, probably. Um, but yeah, they aren't. I mean, I I think they benefit from being kicked around the studio, and that was funny because I also worked at an art handling company when I moved here. Oh, and yeah. It was really weird to switch your mindset, like being in my own studio with my own work, where I like can stomp on it and it makes it better or like right. I'm there where if you breathe on it you like your cost for insurance for the company or whatever just went up like $20,000 right did you start to white glove it in your own studio no no not at all <laughs> but it was just such an extreme switch from yeah. like going there and being like I need a 360 view of everything before I even think about touching this and then here where I don't know it's just a funny change like how the context of work really changes how you experience it right even my own work once it goes into the gallery um like i had my parents come to the space and it was fun to be like i'm gonna take this off the wall and like show you the back of it and right because it's mine but you like can't redo that in the gallery normally yeah that's true and i've had that experience too where i go to the gallery to set up a show or i'm dealing with my work and Mm -hmm. They come out with like the foam pads right. and the white gloves. I'm like, no. I know, it feels so over the top. Yeah, in the studio, I'm just like leaning this yeah, stuff all over. Like, we can use this as a frisbee, actually. Right. <laughs> it'll hold up. Yeah. It's acrylic, it'll be fine. Right. Yeah, but I just don't, you know, I'll just pick it up and move it by myself like a big painting. Yeah. And all, oh, well, I'll yeah. help you out. Like, it is flattering, though. It's like, it is. I mean, it's, I mean, that's kind of what you. You like this idea that people are really kind of value it. Yeah, yeah the valuing the work and, and what you put into it yeah. and all that. But as someone who makes it, you're just like, oh, it's just a pain. Right. Just throw it around. Exactly. <laughs> so um so you have this this group show that's up now mm-hmm. at DC Moore. Yeah. Um is the work that you were making the work in in that group show, say, that people can see now. Um, is the work that you were doing when you first moved to the city similar, or has it changed a lot since then? Um, that's a good question. I, I think it's hard for me to notice how my work changes. Um, it's like growing up, like I have a lot of siblings, and they obviously have changed so much, but all being kids together, it's like I don't notice them changing until mm-hmm. someone points it out. I feel the same way about the paintings, where 
they change so gradually, like bit by bit, painting by painting, that you know, from point A to point B, they are dramatically different. But it's really hard for me to know how or why. Um, I, th I think, when I first moved here and the work I was making in Germany, were not so experimental with the surface, and the color was less um, con not consistent. But I think I've broken into something in the past year where. I use color kind of specifically, like I've been looking at Howard Hodgkin a lot in the past year. And I mean, I look at all kinds of painters, but I, I feel like it's really informed by that. But really probably the surface has changed the most where I'm starting to use paint really thickly and I'm using a knife to carve into the surfaces sometimes to make really thin lines. And I'm using like oil pastel and wax um, just to get as much variety of mark making as I can. Um, so, so that that's slowly changed over time yeah so i think that. like looking actually like well i now we're doing the thing where i'm gesturing no, no it's okay we're loud um, <laughs> i'll take a those photo. two are from berlin and i think their surfaces are really flat compared to some of the ones on the wall yeah um and i think that actually came from making small paintings where you you could just use a ton of paint in a small space and play with that whereas mm -hmm. before making large work it's just not something i considered and so now I think going back into that larger scale work, I've learned something from the small work where you can use just a lot more material to describe something. Yeah, it's a lot easier to build up the surface quickly on a smaller yeah. painting. And then you have to figure out what to do with that. Yeah. Like it's not easy. It can get kind of clumped up and right. it can get busy. Yeah, so definitely. It's like how do you balance that? And then, you know, conversely, working on large scale images, it's hard to just throw a ton of paint on there. Yeah, but, but I think working on the small paintings have encouraged me to do that, to treat the large paintings like I do the small paintings, um, which was a really great thing about making that work, too. Yeah, and looking at your work, obviously, I mean, it's, people do this all the time. I can imagine, you know, a ton of different artists that are, you're really interested in. Oh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm such a... Um, easily influenced person like anything I see I, I find a way to get excited about it and I feel mm -hmm. like my work is really like a kind of soup of everything I love um, yeah but it's funny because if you and just looking at the way that you build up the images I mean obviously they're figurative paintings most mm -hmm. of them are figurative and but there's so much abstraction in there too you know yeah. and I can imagine the different abstract painters that you're looking at yeah you know, totally like Agnes Martin and Georgia O'Keeffe would be two people that I imagine that you've definitely yeah been I really in. value that work and I learned so much from it and and just as much as the history of figurative painting you know you'll just learn how to play with paint by looking at abstract painters who really grapple with it like as you know the main thing they were thinking about yeah so when you um when you're in the studio working on these I don't see a stereo I mean, what's no, your... it's really quiet in here normally. Are you a work in peace kind of person? Yeah, um, like sometimes, like you know, I should like join the rest of the world and listen to music. But if like <laughs> something happens and it cuts out, I won't notice for like hours afterward. I'm like, oh, right. yeah, you get lost um, in, yeah. in the painting. Yeah, I just don't um, painting. It's funny we're talking about Agnes Martin because she's talking about you know getting to this place where you're not thinking at all, mm -hmm. which for me outside of art making is really difficult. Like it's hard for me to fall asleep sometimes because I'm thinking about so much. But when I'm drawing or painting, it's just like they disappear, you know? Yeah. You, no, you don't think about anything. It's so automatic, um, which is really healthy, I think. I think that's the best feeling in life. Yeah, yeah, where you just 
and this was, I had this experience so much more before I had a smartphone, but I could, you know, be working on something for four hours and it would feel like 25 minutes. Yeah. And I, I've, I've done a lot of different things in my life, but there's nothing like when you're in hour five or six of making a painting and you're in the studio and it's just going well and you get lost in that. Yeah. No, like you're incredible. saying where the time goes yeah. by and there's such, for me, there's such a feeling of peace and but it's, it's like meditating, but in a different way. Yeah. But you turn everything else off, and I think it's such like a, a luxury. It's really like, you know, like a heavenly experience. Definitely. I mean, I think it's really spiritual. Like a lot of people have a spiritual practice that's about getting to that place. And uh, so I feel really lucky as an artist that I can kind of do that so yeah. easily. Yeah. I guess a lot of other people like take drugs to try to get there or do something, you know, yeah. find some other way to get outside of yourself. Right. But you can do that in painting. I think musicians can do it too. Cause like when you're playing music and you, and it's yeah. different cause it's collaborative usually. So you can get in this unconscious Joint communicative nirvana. groove. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's weird. It, it really happens like yeah. where you're playing music with people and it just, I don't know. You, you hit this kind of like zone. Yeah. You know? I think it's true. It like thinking about cross country, we're talking about like, it's true of running too and we kind of talked about that before mm -hmm. where you're yeah. just in this kind of automatic motion or um, your body start, just starts this process that doesn't need you to think necessarily well and you have the literal wall right don't they call it when you hit the wall oh I, I never ran enough to experience that but, yeah, but I've heard of it me yeah. neither I've heard of it yeah it, it sounds interesting it sounds terrifying <laughs> oh, really? Is it? it's just where you run so long that you kind of like blank out right like you hit this euphoric kind of oh maybe I'm thinking something energy. different I thought it was like you hit this wall and like you have to like do the extreme mind over matter thing like am I going to go over it or am I not oh that's probably a wall too the one I'm talking I think that does happen because I know people run really long yeah, yeah. stretches but I think there's one where you run for a long time and then you get this kind of like weird lightness and yeah. kind of second uh, wind yeah. of energy the one I relate to more is when you get so hungry, you're not hungry anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. But does the, do you get the, the hangry where you get mad for a little? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's in the first part, though. And then it's like you're numb to your hunger, and which happens to me a lot in here because I'm like, I really need to eat lunch. But this painting, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just do a little bit more or a little bit more. And then it's like 4.30, and I'm like, you haven't had a meal since 8 a.m. I do that, too. And thank God, like... I live around people who love food so much that they're really baffled by this thing. Well, I'm baffled too because I love food also, but I yeah, know. but sometimes it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. It's like you just want to keep working, Definitely. and it literally becomes at that point fuel. Like yeah. I'm going to run out of fuel here. Yeah, but I don't want to go and you know walk five blocks exactly. to get like you know a crappy deli sandwich or something. So, you know, it's it's almost like it becomes a pain. Yeah, and I use my hands a lot when I paint, and so it's a real chore to like detoxify myself <laughs> to be able to ingest anything. And oh, so yeah. It's like, I, you know, I'm already here. I'm just going to keep going. It's got to do like a big cleansing. Yeah, which you is horrifying to some of my friends who paint with gloves and stuff. I'd never been able to do that. Yeah, I can't paint with gloves either. No, it really... It, you know, it would solve the issue, though. <laughs> it totally would, but your hands get sweaty and, you know, the marks change when you are actually using your finger. And um, you get the glove smell. Yeah, it's just everything about it's horrible. Although I have like these really bad from holding brushes and getting, you know, over the years, like this really dry 
sections of my hand from uh, like you know how it gets wet when you dip it in yeah yeah like i'm always have my brushes in water i work with acrylic so and over the years like this part has just gotten completely like it's like yeah. 80 grit sandpaper and totally. I, in the I winter it's so too. bad i don't know if everyone has this but at like where i hold a pencil this like big lump oh yeah my... yeah i have that yeah. i hold mine all weird so it you know, when I was a kid, they gave me the triangle thing to try to correct the way that I held a pencil. I've never seen one of those. It's like a rubber... Tri- um, this is an old <laughs> thing. <laughs> this is probably... Actually, nowadays, I think they have, like, rocket-shaped pencils that uh, that do it. Like, oh, it okay. forces kids to, like... I must have missed when they cared, because... <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, maybe they gave up on it, but yeah. they used to have these giant plastic uh, triangles oh. with a hole in the middle that you would put your pencil through, and it, it would force you to kind of hold the pencil like this, so it was... The correct the way, right. the right way, and I would hold it like this, all cramped up and like violently yeah. pressing on it. Like my sister just used to do the fist, like oh yeah, that's kind of drawing. Yeah, it's pretty, which is valid, you know. Yeah, that's I mean, a way to do it. It's primal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, but I have that kind of callus from holding it here all the time. But still, when I hold a paintbrush, I hold it so stiff, you mm. know. And my son does the same thing. That's He's holding it, and we. You know, I, I want to say to him, like, oh, there's actually a better way to do it. It's like, eh, that's just... Yeah, let him figure it it's out. It's genetic. He's going to do the same thing yeah, I'm yeah. going to do. <laughs> when he's drawing, he's, like, pushing so hard. I'm like, you might want to start that drawing light at first, but he just goes all out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I get this, you know, this kind of dryness that happens. It's like studio, little things from the studio that make your life kind of, like, tricky at times. Right. Well, you know, I've got soft skin. It might be all the oil... Oh, from the oil paint. Yeah, Yeah, because I'm doing acrylic, which is just like water-based. Yeah, Yeah, maybe I should switch over to to oils. It is apparently really bad for you, but also when I was on Fulbright, um, there was a biologist who was also taking the German class. I was the only artist in Marburg Mm -hmm. when we were studying German. There was a lot of scientists. Like, Germany's really big for that, um, for the Fulbright. And she was actually researching the effect of cadmium on... um, these really small animals, I forget their name, in water, and she went to this place called Essen where they had, it's a super industrial city. Mm-hmm. And so it was cool to be able to ask her, like, like actually what is going on when cadmium gets, and she was like, you would have to eat, like, cadmium every day for 50 years for it to be, and I was like, okay. So like I, I don't feel worried about it, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Van Gogh probably was eating paint. That's yeah, probably yeah. why. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably safe, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's the same thing with acrylics. There's so many synthetic materials. You know, mm-hmm. I use so many paints that say on the back of it, like, warning, this paint is given, right. um, you know, mice cancer in California yeah. or something. I, I just, just figure if I'm going to get sick from something, it might as well be what I like to do. Right. Instead of chain smoking. Yeah, or, yeah, you know, exactly. Binge drinking. It's just like, at least I'm being productive. Right. <laughs> So do you listen to music outside of the studio and or podcasts or anything? Or? Yeah, most more music um, at home. I like to when I'm cooking or, you know, just... Or traveling, I like to listen to on the subway. Is there any music you connect to aesthetically in relation to the work that you make? Or do uh, you feel like it's a totally separate ballgame? No, I don't think it's... It's definitely not totally separate. And I've even... I mean, it's sort of tacky to reveal but like totally named paintings after lyrics that stuck with me no oh, i um i think every show i've had has been named something yeah related to music or or even lyrics i misheard but like to me it was better that way but right. um i love really slow emotional music yeah. <laughs> um like 
someone I've listened to since I was like in middle school and still loves like Sharon Van Etten and um, recently I've been listening to a ton of Wise Blood uh-huh. um, I don't know she's amazing she's kind of like this medieval voice um, is it folky uh, singer songwriter like guitar yeah. and singing or yeah but it's it's like more than that it's like relates to more of history in a way mm-hmm. I think it How'd you get turned on to that? I think she lived in Baltimore for some time, and I know that she played there, and a friend saw her and was like, you have to listen to this. And I think through my, yeah, my friend Lauren, who went to see her, um, Baltimore has such a crazy rich music scene, too. So it's like listening to Lower Dens and Beach House and Mm -hmm. um, Future Islands. They're all from Baltimore? They're all from Baltimore. Man, because like when I was young in school, it was the Discord days, you know, it was like Mm. punk yeah, you know, like indie rock and punk was huge there, and we would go to Black Cat and Ninth Avenue. Yeah, yeah, you know those places. Yeah, I went as a high schooler. Yeah, there was some some a really strong music scene there. Yeah, and there's even there's so much more too to the Baltimore music scene that I wasn't even exposed to. Um, it's such a crazy, incredible place. Yeah. So, so you're into? I mean, you basically listen to music, but not in the studio. I, I do sometimes, but it's not a requirement for me. Right. Um, like, yeah, I don't. I was borrowing my studio mate speaker, and now he, it's gone. And <laughs> I, I don't feel like I need one though necessarily. Right, right. Well, I think that's. for me, it's like I have to listen to uh, something. I yeah. don't know why. The silence, I think, is too puts too much on the what I'm doing in the painting, mm-hmm. or I'll become too conscious of what I'm doing. Yeah. Which is weird because I don't think that I should need a distraction in my life because basically. Life now is just a series of, of distractions, distractions yeah. nonstop, like right. phone going off, emails or whatever. Yeah, I think reaching that unthinking place, it's like it wouldn't matter if there was music on or not. I wouldn't be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, did so. you ever Did you ever listen to Palace Brothers? Do you know that guy, Will Oldham? No, I don't actually. It's a guy that I totally. When I see your work, it just his music pops into oh, my head. I'll have to share. I'll have to share. Yeah, some I'd love stuff to. Yeah, but there's some there's some really great kind of, it's slow, it's kind of emotional mm-hmm. and in a different way probably than what you're describing. But I think I don't know. That's the thing that popped up, the music that popped up in my head whenever yeah. I saw your work, which I think would be cool to check out. Yeah, I listen to a lot of Arthur Russell too, which maybe like I feel connected to in a more specific way with the work where he was kind of making work during the AIDS crisis, I mm-hmm. think, um, and. It had there's an emotional content there, and yeah. uh, it's also experimental in a certain way. Right. So I feel like if I had to pick someone, I would want to look or sound like. Yeah. Like it would be cool to sound like him. Yeah, yeah. And what about movies? Because you're it. I could imagine you being into certain movies. Yeah, visually. totally. Um, I recently watched the Decameron by Pasolini, uh-huh. um, and I made a couple drawings from just stills from that because it was so good. Um, just I, I love how and I want my paintings to do this too where it's charming and sweet but it's also really disgusting and super perverse mm-hmm. and I don't I mean not, I don't think my work does that all the time or maybe at all but sometimes I think it does where there's sort of this clash of something you recognize as easy to digest and like you could show your mom um, but then the subject matter or the subtext is like not something you want to talk about with your parents or show right. your children yeah yeah yeah, the duality. Yeah. It creates a real nice tension, I think. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it, it's 
it's very accurate about like how I feel in the world sometimes like um, you know you're presenting yourself in a certain way all the time but you also lead your life which is not always charming not always beautiful um, mm-hmm. sometimes ugly sometimes embarrassing so I want the work to be like that yeah you know? no it definitely has that that feel to it yeah which is probably why people love your work I hope so <laughs> makes it makes it unique yeah <laughs> cool so so what do you have coming up? Do you have anything coming up after the group show that's up now at DC Moore? Yeah. Um, I have my first solo show in Europe. Um, it's going to be in Paris at a gallery called Antoine Levy. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I was with them this morning, meeting them for the first time. And really generously, they've offered for me to come stay for three weeks. So I'm leaving um, in January, and I'm going nice. to make some work there. That's great. Um, so that's sort of my next thing I'm really focusing on. Did you get a chance to go to Paris when you were in Germany? I, well, I had been before. I went when I was in high school. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I was. My girlfriend at the time in high school was Parisian. Mm-hmm. Well, she was born there, but uh, grew up in the states, and her family lived there. So we went, and so I was 15, and we were there for like three days. So I'd been before, but not really like as an adult. Right. So. I decided not to go, but I'm really actually looking forward to go back and sort of discover the city as like a real human being. Yeah, there's so much, I, I can imagine so much feeding into your work. It's, yeah. It's so visual. It's an amazing place. So. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be great. And um, where else can people see your work? You're on social media, you have a website and all yeah. that. So do you want to share that with listeners? Yeah, my my Instagram. Should I just like say the handle? Yeah, sure. It's, it's just not? Lou Fertino. I, like my social presence is like, a little bit more casual than my real one, I guess, because I never <laughs> introduce myself as blue, but um, that's what it is. Um, and yeah, my website is just my name. Right. Dot com. So wait, so only the closest of friends and family call you Lou, or do you not go by Lou at all? No, I do, and sometimes people op- just decide to call me that, which right. I find really sweet. Yeah. Um, but I something about introducing myself that way feels difficult like normally I just go with my full formal name like, right I'm Lewis nice to meet you um so yeah I don't know why I decided to do that in Paris you will you could be Louis uh, yeah I will be and I look forward to and it and it won't be Louis like Louis right. from Staten Island right but now I'm re- very recently an uncle and so I feel like I, I am a little bit like Louis from Staten like you uncle, know, uncle, uncle Louis. Louis yeah oh we didn't get into that Staten Island that place it's different it's different yeah yeah I think a lot of New Yorkers I've never it. been there. Yeah, yeah, and that's the first borough I lived in when I came here. How long were you there? Uh, cumulatively, I was there three months. So it was a long time and so generous of my uncles to let me be there. Fun fact, three months in Staten Island is actually two years in New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I go there for soccer games sometimes, and it's a wild scene, man. Like yeah. Those parents and coaches, are they're into it. It's well, a whole different... It's red New York. It, it really is. A lot of firefighters and yeah. policemen, right? Yeah, live there, and it's an amazing place. I mean, the Verrazano—it's a beautiful bridge. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and you know, there's that park there, which is supposed to be the biggest on the East Coast or something. Fresh yeah. Kills and some really—I think some of the oldest buildings in the city are over there too. Yeah, it's a pretty cool place to go. Yeah. check out. Thanks for having me over. Yeah, for it sure. Was, it was great to see your work in person and to be able to meet up and talk. And. Um, Best of luck with the show in Paris. Thank you. Cool. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Sound and Vision was conceived, produced, recorded, edited, mastered, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. 
You can find images that I take from the podcast sessions by going to the images page on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find even more images on the podcast Instagram feed at Sound and Vision Podcast. If you love hearing these artists speak about their life and work, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher and Google Play. You can even donate to help support the podcast by clicking the donate button on the webpage. The introduction and accompanying music was generously provided by Michael Lovett. Michael records as Nazca Lines and also Moonlights in the band Metronomy. The bio and outro music were provided by Sean Seymour. Sean and his wife Yoshimi are a band called Lullatone based in Nagoya, Japan. Thanks to them and also Jacob Tutu and Logan Takahashi who have also lent music to the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who share and support the podcast. All this is done by myself without funding and ads, and it really is you all who help spread the word, and you spread it well. Many thanks to all of you and all the artists for sharing their stories and time with me. Thank you.